It's Thursday, March 7th. Welcome to our new podcast, Skim This. Every Monday through Friday at 5 p.m., we're breaking down the biggest, most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. This week, Arizona Senator Martha McSally shared her story about being raped in the military. Today, we want to look at how military sexual assault cases are handled and the role of commanders in the process. Also, Paul Manafort faced sentencing today, and people are talking about the P-word. Pardon. Then, before International Women's Day tomorrow, we take a look back, and we're going to ask for your help. And finally, there's a new queen of Instagram. For real. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. We're going to start out talking about the story that really exploded after a hearing on Capitol Hill yesterday. So the Senate Armed Services Committee was hearing from current and former members of the military about the military's response to sexual assaults and what they're doing to prevent those assaults. Military assault victims were also there to testify, and it seemed like a normal hearing until it was Arizona Senator Martha McSally's turn to talk. She's a Republican. She took over Senator John McCain's seat after he died, and she's former military. She was the first woman in the Air Force to fly in combat. So McSally took the mic, she thanked the victims, and then she made a shocking statement. I am also a military sexual assault survivor. But unlike so many brave survivors, I didn't report being sexually assaulted. Like so many women and men, I didn't trust the system at the time. I blamed myself. I was ashamed and confused. I thought I was strong, but felt powerless. The perpetrators abused their position of power in profound ways. And in one case, I was preyed upon and then raped by a superior officer. Bombshell moment. Before now, McSally had only talked about this to a few people. Now she was talking about it in public, and it totally changed the room. McSally said she was horrified at how her attempts to share her experiences were handled, and that she almost left the Air Force over it. Like many victims, I felt the system was raping me all over again. Of course, that all made a lot of headlines. But today, we're diving a little deeper and talking about what McSally said next, because that was also a big deal. And it's a little complex. Here's McSally. I share the disgust of the failures of the military system and many commanders who failed in their responsibilities. But it's for this very reason that we must allow, we must demand that commanders stay at the center of the solution and live up to the moral and legal responsibilities that come with being a commander. McSally, who had just told her colleagues and the world that she was raped by a superior officer, is saying that commanding officers should still be a crucial part of the process of handling sexual assault cases in the military. This has been a major sticking point among victims, and some in the Senate. So here's what we're going to cover. First, we're gonna give a short overview of the problem and how the system works now. Second, we're gonna talk about the role commanders play in that process. And third, we're gonna talk about proposals to fix that process. So first, how big of a problem is sexual assault in the military and how do they deal with reports now? The last time the Pentagon did a survey in 2016, almost 15,000 service members said they were sexually assaulted that year but less people are comfortable making an official report to the military. That same year, only about 6,000 cases were officially reported. 
In 2017, only 4% of reports ended up with someone actually getting convicted. And that conviction rate is dropping. In the military, victims of sexual assault basically have two options. They can either file a restricted report or an unrestricted report. A restricted report means a victim reports the event on the DL to a victim advocate. They get help coping with the assault, but there's no investigation and no punishment for the assailant, who's often still around because these are usually claims against fellow service members. The other option for victims is to file an unrestricted report. That triggers an official investigation. And this is where part two comes in. What role do commanders play in dealing with these sexual assault allegations? Unlike cases in civilian court, it's not up to military prosecutors to seek charges. It's up to the commanding officer. The commanding officers of the alleged perpetrator decide whether to hand the case over to military prosecutors or not. Advocate groups say that's a conflict of interest. They say there's no control for potential bias against the victim or the accused. They say commanding officers aren't necessarily trained as lawyers, and they don't have the time that they would need to deal with these complaints properly. Victims say that a lot of times, their alleged assailants have just gotten a slap on the wrist. A sample taken in 2016 found that in one in five cases, victims who filed an unrestricted report backed out. Sometimes victims back out because of lack of evidence or because the fear of retaliation is real, like it was for Senator McSally. Which brings us to part three. What proposals are there for how to change this? McSally said yesterday that military commanders should still be a part of the process because keeping service members in line is their job. Commanding officers are responsible for the good order and discipline within their units, so their authority over issues within their units is crucial. McSally says commanders need to be educated and they need to be held accountable. And that's pretty much in line with what the Pentagon is saying. But there are proposals to take commanding officers out of the equation altogether. New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has been pushing legislation since 2013 to turn these investigations over to independent military prosecutors. Yesterday in the hearing, she explained to military leaders why commanding officers should be relieved of this particular duty. Let's leave it to an expert, someone who is trained in criminal justice, who's prosecuted cases and defended cases, somebody who has a career in it, because you're trying to make these decisions yourself, and, and it's only 3% of you anyway. It's not the average commander, and we're not making you less responsible. We're taking one thing off your to-do list that you're not very good at. That's it. So what's the skim? The latest numbers show the number of reported cases of sexual assault in the military are on the rise, which seems bad, but the Pentagon says that's a good thing. They say it shows that victims are less scared to come forward. But critics say the percentage of cases actually going to trial is going down. And that means the system still isn't working. U.S. lawmakers have gotten Pentagon leaders to make changes in the reporting process to help victims. But this part about commanding officers being the ultimate deciders is still a sticking point. And Senator McSally's story yesterday shows that this problem is still in need of a good fight. Coming up, Paul Manafort is back in court today. We'll have more on why there's talk about a pardon after the break. So the name you're going to be hearing a lot today is Paul Manafort, President Trump's former campaign chairman. He's the drama that just keeps giving. Manafort was in court today to be sentenced. He was still in there when we went to air. He's facing up to 24 years in prison and up to $24 million in fines. So quick reminder on Paul Manafort. 
Manafort was convicted last summer for tax fraud and bank fraud. Special counsel Robert Mueller learned about the fraud during his investigation into the Trump campaign. To be clear, these charges are from Manafort's work as a political consultant, before he was even on the Trump campaign. Last summer, President Trump called Manafort's trial a disgrace and a witch hunt. Manafort made a plea deal to cooperate with the special counsel in exchange for a lighter sentence. But then he lied about a bunch of things, including about his interactions with a Russian associate. That lighter sentence deal went up in smoke. But people say that was Manafort's way of standing by his man, Trump. Which brings us to the big thing that everyone will be talking about. Will Manafort actually serve that prison time? Or will Trump pardon him? The Constitution gives the president the power to pardon people for federal crimes. Trump has already pardoned a few people, including some controversial guys like former Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio. And the president hasn't exactly been hiding the fact that he still likes Manafort. He happens to be a very good person. And I think it's very sad what they've done. Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani has floated the idea of pardons as a possibility. But remember, the president's pardon power applies to people convicted of federal crimes, not crimes at the state level. Now state prosecutors in New York are getting ready with a plan B. They're preparing criminal charges against Manafort. They'll file them whether or not he gets a pardon. It's not straightforward. New York has a loophole that could limit their ability to do that. But they're trying to make sure Manafort is put behind bars one way or another. You probably know that March is Women's History Month, and you'll probably be seeing a lot of posts tomorrow for International Women's Day. So we thought we'd give you a leg up and talk about where that day came from. It started with a protest. In 1908, women working in the garment factories in New York went on strike. The next year, in 1909, the Socialist Party of America celebrated a National Women's Day to remember that protest. Then, a year later, it went global. At a big international socialist meeting in Copenhagen, women from 17 countries declared an international day for the women's rights movement. It became more of a big deal in Europe, but in 1975, the United Nations made March 8th the official holiday. Here at The Skim, we're celebrating International Women's Day, and we need your help. Tomorrow, we want to highlight a woman who you think is making history in the news. So we want you to give us a call and leave us a voicemail telling us about a woman you think killed it this week. Our phone number is in the show notes. And if you do call, you might hear your voice on the show tomorrow. Before we go today, we have a fun fact from the British royal family. Queen Elizabeth II has lived a fascinating life. She's 92 years old and the longest reigning British monarch. But today, she did something she's never done before. She posted on Instagram. The Queen was at London's Science Museum to open a new exhibit about coding and technology. There were all these inventions, and there was an iPad set up for her. So, just to be clear, someone else wrote the post about her tour of the museum, and added a picture of a letter to her great-great-grandfather, Prince Albert, from computer pioneer Charles Babbage. But she signed it, Elizabeth R. R for Regina. That's Queen in Latin. And that's all for Skim This. Thank you so much for listening to us during our launch week and for all the great reviews. We hope you hit subscribe and tell all your friends. Don't forget to leave us a voicemail with your Woman of the Week. And if you want more news first thing tomorrow morning, check out our newsletter, The Daily Skim. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 
You can subscribe at theskim.com. 